0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading is from John 1, 1 through 18. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known.
1: Good morning, I'm Duke. Juan the other pastor here in this community Uh, a joy to join you especially uh, this Advent season Uh, these decorations are beautiful thank you to those who put them up it's uh, yeah every every part of our community um, is is served and managed by somebody right somebody is helping and so uh, thank you so much for for those who helped out I, I love this time of year I don't know if you do But I do, the Advent season, Christmas season, it's one of my favorite times of year, a meaningful season, time of year. In fact, already this Advent, I feel like I'm rediscovering an old love. An old love that fills my heart and reassures me that everything's going to be all right. I'm talking about eggnog, of course, right? (laughs) Had a little bit too much last night, a leader's Christmas party uh lots of fun um i love eggnog let the eggnog lovers say amen i know you're out there right rediscovering an old love well hey you know all you you can tell we're going to need some help today so let's pause and let's pray before we look at this passage jesus we do need your help our great joy and confidence is that you call yourself the helper you are eager To open our eyes that we might see you. You are eager to unplug our ears that we might hear from you. You are eager to soften our hearts that we might receive you. And do all that work by the power of your Holy Spirit. We can't do it ourselves. So come and send your grace. Send your spirit. Make us alive to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in the seventh grade I began to fall in love with mystery novels. I don't know if any of you are fans of mysteries. At that time I began to read every Agatha Christie book that I could get my hands on. Murder on the Orient Express and then there were none. Roger Ackroyd and Curtin. Because I love the ways that the mysteries created suspense, even as you were reading a book, you could feel it in your bones. You know, the story starts, and you, you really have no idea what's going on, right? You got more questions than you have answers. What just happened? Who are these people? Who committed the crime? How are they going to figure this one out? And as the story slowly unfolds, you know, the excitement kind of builds up as you discover new clues, and pretty Soon you're just dying to flip ahead to the final chapter. In fact, I'm pretty sure I cheated and looked ahead a couple times, right? (laughs) Because you just can't wait, can't wait to find out how the case is finally solved. And then finally, there's the big reveal, right? That big climactic moment at the end. It was him. She's the one that we were looking for. Then you close the book when you're done, saying to yourself with, Grin, I knew it all along, <laughs> when, of course, you didn't. I had no clue, right? But that's how good mysteries grab a hold of you. Our passage today from the Gospel of John, John's version here, it's really what we have here is the story of Christmas. Now, it might not be what you're used to as being the Christmas story. There's no nativity scene. There's no angels or shepherds. No baby Jesus, in fact, at least not described that way. But it still is his version of the story of Christmas, the arrival of the Son of God into our world. And this story reads like a good mystery novel. See, at first, if we're honest about it, we have no idea what the Apostle's talking about. And if you had no idea and still don't, you're in good company. It's what John intended. He says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning of what? And what is this word? And why are we talking about a word? Where's the manger? But then John begins to drop some clues. Hold on. He's talking about God, we discover. Did you see that? The word, whatever it is, isn't just a thing. It's a person. Wait, another clue. The word came into the world. And John offers detail upon detail, describing this word and making it a a more full picture for us. The word is light, he says. And the word is not only light, it's also life. The, The word is glory and grace and truth. And the whole time that John is describing these things, he's holding us in in suspense, in, in the suspense of mystery as we read these opening verses until finally the big reveal in the final scene, right? He tells us the answer. I'm talking about Jesus. The word is Jesus. Sorry, I forgot to say spoil alert, right? it's Jesus that he's talking about. See, this is how the Apostle John unfolds his version of the story of Christmas, kind of like a a mini mystery novel. And the key to the suspense of this mysterious thing, this story, is that mysterious word, word. In fact, when we Sort of study the meaning of the word word here in this passage, what we find is that it really begins to unlock for us the very meaning of Christmas itself. What is Christmas? Well, we learn two things from this passage. First, that Christmas is a story of personal intimacy, and then secondly, that Christmas is a story of of vulnerability. Christmas is a story first of intimacy. And secondly of vulnerability. Let's take a look. Christmas is a story of intimacy. Of all things. Why would John use the word word to tell us about the coming of Jesus? Well words, what are they? They're a form of personal Communication, right? Uh, words give outward expression to our inner thoughts and feelings. Uh, words bridge our outside reality from our inside reality. The other day, my son, whom many of you know, he's always around, woke up and almost immediately turned to me, and he said, Daddy, I'm sick. I'm not going to school. I don't want to go to school because I am sick. I want to stay home, and you just don't know how excited I was. Not because he was sick. Not that weird, right? (laughs) But because he can be a little dude that can sometimes struggle to communicate, to put words to his feelings, especially when they're Complex. I didn't even know that he really knew how to gauge the state of his body, his physical well-being, but somehow it was a moment where he actually found words to describe what was going on the inside of him. Some of you parents wish your teenagers would do more of that, right? Now, some of you wish your spouses would do a little bit more of that, right? Offer outward expression to their hidden secret inner thoughts. Personally, I would appreciate it if my wife were to send me to Safeway and as she gives me the grocery list, you should see the look on her face right now. Like, <laughs> She gives me the grocery list that when she writes cucumbers that she would tell me Do you mean one cucumber, or do you mean 27 cucumbers? I have no idea, and you're not answering your text message as I'm asking you, right? I don't know she wants me to read her mind. Listen, this is what John is telling us. In Jesus, God is giving us a break from having to be a divine mind reader. In Jesus, God is disclosing the secret thoughts and desires and goals and purposes and loves of God. Jesus is God's communication of himself to the world. It's why he's called the Word. Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago as a visible physical self-expression of the otherwise invisible God. Are you getting a sense of why the person of Jesus is such a gift to us? It's why in verse 18 it says this, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side, has made him known. And later in John 14, Jesus, when he's Grown up and doing his ministry, he would say these astonishing words to his disciples. Anyone who has seen me has seen God the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, later on in the New Testament, puts it this way. Listen up. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors. He gave words to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last ways, he has spoken to us, he has communicated to us, he has given a word to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to see God look at Jesus, and these, and these New Testament writers are just using the language of the Bible itself. You may or may not know that throughout the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible that came before Jesus' arrival, that there God's speech is such a personal expression of God's power that his words themselves are often described as creating. His words themselves are described as redeeming. His words themselves are described as saving. For example, in Psalm 107, we're told that God sent out his word and healed his people. Rescued them from the grave. And so God's word in the Old Testament is portrayed as being so active and so charged with life and power that it's described almost as a person doing, redeeming work on God's behalf. And so it's not out of nowhere that John then picks up on that trope, on that theme, on that language that when John wants to tell us about God, the son, the second person of the Trinity, coming into this world as a baby, coming to heal and to redeem and to save, that he describes him as the very word of God, the personal communication of God, the one who makes God known. Jesus is the word of God. And what does this mean then? Well, first of all, friends, if you want to know what God is like, here's what John is telling us. Look at Jesus. Maybe you've had questions about what what God's nature is like and his character and how he works in the world. Uh, Maybe you're frustrated because you've been searching for God and you don't seem to have enough of a concrete expression of who he is. Nothing to study and nothing really to know. What the Bible says is you have someone, a historical person, indeed, Jesus of Nazareth who was simultaneously a true human being and God himself, indeed, the Word of God, the very personal communication of God in this world. If you want to find out what God is thinking, listen to the thoughts of Jesus. We have some of them recorded right here in the book of John. Advent might be a good season, the Christmas time might be a good season for you to read through the Gospel of John and discover the thoughts of Jesus, which are the very thoughts of the God of the universe. You want to look and see what God looks like, maybe not his physical attributes, but rather his moral attributes how he relates to people, how he speaks to the poor, how he interacts with even the proud, how he loves. You want to see what God is like? Look at Jesus. But let me be clear about this as well, that John, as he talks about Jesus being the communication of God, the very word of God, he's not just talking about the communication of just naked facts. Or information about God, or just ideas about God. This isn't a a, a transfer of information, because words create intimacy. See, here's what's interesting. In John's day, this word, word, was actually sort of a technical term. In the world of ancient Greek philosophy that was flying around those days, The Greek word for word was an abstract force. It was kind of this force that brought order and harmony to the whole universe. It was a a rational principle by which everything in the universe was said to have existed. So John is using this familiar sort of technical term, to connect with the Greek way of thinking as he speaks about the true and living God, but he's also redefining it, and he's challenging it, and he's challenging us. Why? Because far too many of us tend to think about God as though he were just a rational principle. Some of us think that God is an idea. We might even relate to him, treating him as though he were kind of an inanimate object. I came across a, a story recently where uh, a, a woman apparently recently got engaged to her chandelier. It's a strange story, of course, and it's an example of what is often called objectophilia, Love and attraction and commitment to inanimate objects. And so this woman, she explained that she first saw her fiancé, she knows her, on eBay. Last year, she says it was love at first sight. She gave her a name, Lumiere. And (laughs) the 30-inch wide chandelier, in fact, is an antique, a little bit older than her, but had to be shipped over from Germany. This woman says, I couldn't stop thinking about her, how beautiful she was, beautiful shape. I could really feel the amazing energy coming from her. I knew it would be tricky to get her home, but I knew I just needed to find a way to make her mine. Got engaged, getting ready to be married. Now, now, now. (laughs) A lot of ways in which a story like that ought to evoke uh, a sense of tragedy, right? Pity. There's probably some sort of a disorder operating in this woman's mind or heart, of course. And in some ways, of course, it's amusing as well, especially as we just see the outrageousness, outlandishness of that kind of thing. Uh, But what if it's more like us than we think? Uh, What if there's a way in which we might be Saying that we're relating to God, even developing a relationship with God. Some of us talk about even praying to God, and yet when it comes down to it, the way in which you conceive of God is that he's just a theological principle. He's kind of just an idea that I've created or that I've heard about. He's maybe even an object of my imagination. But sure, I relate to him. Sure, I might even say I love him. Sure, I say I put my trust in him. Sure. And yet God gives us a different thing. He's not an abstract idea. He does not call us to relate to him as an abstract idea or a theological principle. God is not a vibe. God is a person who offers to be in a promised relationship, love with a promise called a covenant. Even for sinful, selfish people like you and me, running the opposite way, even taking the living God himself and treating him like an object, simply to get away with the things that we want to get away with, to have control and power over him so that he can't lord it over us. We treat him as a dead being when he's alive, and we call it love or we call it faith, or we call it religion. God has a better way. He's got better purposes for us. He gave us a word, and words create intimacy, real relationship. You see, we use words to share our thoughts, our desires, our goals, our personality, our loyalty. Right? That's what a word is. Communication is What we give to one another when we love each other. It's why without such communication, there's no possibility of a real relationship. And it's why if you want to shut someone out of your life, you give them the silent treatment. You stop talking to them. Because self-disclosure is always an act of love. Words create intimacy. The word Jesus himself created and creates intimacy. Don't you want to know God like that? Some of you are just coming to a point of even realizing that might even be a possibility. Would that not be the, the highest honor and privilege in life to say that I've got time with God? Some of you are dying to get time with I don't know who in this city to say that I get daily, moment to moment, time with the God of the universe. This is what's offered to you, dear ones, starving for dignity and status and meaning. This is the intimacy that he offers you, one who loves you and knows you, promises to change you and set you free to be the person that you were created to be. Jesus is the word, the literal embodiment of God sharing himself personally, with intimacy, with the world, even you and me. Do you want that? This is what God offers to you this Christmas. Christmas is a story of divine intimacy. But secondly, it's also a story of vulnerability. A story of vulnerability. You might have noticed in these first couple of verses the passage we're looking at, the the language just soars. Uh, In in some ways, it escapes us because it seems so uh, abstract and and odd. But really, if we grab a hold of it, it's amazing the way in which John describes this mysterious word. He he tells us that this word is eternal. We find that in verse 1, the very first words, in the beginning was the word. Well, what was the beginning? These words are an unmistakable echo of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what we're being told is that this word actually predated the very creation of the world. He's eternal, had no beginning, and has no end. But not only is he eternal, he's also self-existent, dependent upon nobody for life. In the beginning was the word, which means he existed before creation. He was not dependent upon us to have meaning and identity. Does not depend upon the rocks and the trees and the planets and the molecules of this world that he, in fact, made in order to exist himself. In fact, we're even told in verse 4, in him was life, meaning he had life In himself, not dependent upon anyone or anything. Eternal, self-existent, divine. The word was God. Doesn't get any more direct than that. Verse 18 describes him as the only God, the son of God. We're told in verse 18 that he's invisible. No one has ever seen God, not with their human eyes. And we're told that this word is infinitely powerful. In verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him. And again, in verse 4, we're told that he's the giver of life. In him was life. Everything that is, is because of him. It's pretty big, people. Pretty powerful, pretty beyond our imagining, indescribable, uncontainable. Did we sing that today? No. Right? This word, if you'll just let your imagination run wild with the vastness and the immensity of the eternal word, the self-existent word, the divine word, the invisible, infinitely powerful word, then you're getting a picture of how John Begins to cultivate this understanding of who this word is. The very son of God himself. To take us to this moment when we read verse 14. And let our jaws drop. When it says, and the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. The word. This word. Eternal, divine, indivisible. Forever. Powerful. Infinite, invincible word became vulnerable, even human flesh. There are other words that John could have used in the original language to describe Jesus' entrance into this world. The word became a human being, became a man. But he chose this one, the fleshiest of all flesh words. Flesh. And it got me thinking about that word this week and just the the, the sheer fragility of our human flesh. As I was asked by my daughter to help place a band-aid on the little cut on her finger. I don't know where it came from. I never do yet the pain and maybe psychological agony that it created her because of her frail body. Or even observing the the red rashy skin on my little baby's bottom and just even seeing the tenderness of our very human flesh or even understanding the experience of having IV tubes plugged in to you, as was the case for one of the members of our community who found themselves in a hospital room unexpectedly after falling ill in the recent past. Or maybe it's the awareness that we have of the violence, the the literal torn flesh, because of the violence that we have even in our very neighborhood as we're Reminded again and again of the fragility of life. See, here's the Christmas story. The eternal, infinite, invincible word, the Son of God, became terrible flesh. Terrible flesh. Vulnerable humanity. And it speaks to his sympathy, born in a manger as a child, to a working class family, knowing all the struggles of life, physical, material, spiritual, relational, emotional, that you and I suffer under and endure. There's nothing that you go through that he and his flesh hasn't also gone through. And that's good news because what that means is that he knows what it's like to be hurt. Are you hurt? He's right there with you. He knows what it's like to be assaulted and even abused. This eternal word, the Son of God himself, knows what it feels like to have a, a broken heart or a broken body from chronic illness. He knows what it feels like, what you feel like when you are just exhausted in body And in soul. See, because today some of you feel vulnerable financially or emotionally, maybe even physically. Do you know that the Christmas story is that the eternal and invincible one became the vulnerable one out of love for you, to identify with you, to save you, to meet you in your vulnerability? I don't know what it is that you're struggling with. But you need to know that it's especially in, not kind of in and not despite, but especially in those times and areas of weakness and susceptibility that God most desires to draw near to you through Christ. That even when we want to run away from those places of weakness and pain, Sometimes we don't realize we're running away from the very platform where God wants to descend and meet you and change you and love you. Will you let him love you in that weak place? Here's the mystery of Christmas, friends. The infinite and eternal son of God made himself breakable. Made himself fragile. Came into the world as a baby in a manger making himself hurt a And this was intentional, of course, this is part of the whole plan, because the whole climax of Christmas love, uh, the, the chapter of the story to which this first chapter was designed to lead to, was found over 30 years later when Jesus, in hurt ability and vulnerability and breakability, was utterly broken on the cross when the immortal was made such that he could die. Suffering and dying for all of our sins, all of our resistance against God, all of our selfishness, which sometimes, for whatever reason, just gets on fire around the holiday season, doesn't it, people? Jesus, who loved us so, With such vulnerability, and it wasn't the vulnerability of victimhood, was it? This was chosen. See, this is what makes it love, that it was chosen vulnerability. Jesus chose to be hurt to save you. Jesus chose to suffer for your sins. Jesus chose to become breakable that the judgment of God might never break you. Hallelujah. This is a literal embodiment, the love of God. And here's what happens, you see, if we begin to embrace this story. If we begin to really take in this story as our story. Vulnerability as a gift to bring us into intimacy with God vulnerability for intimacy. Take that story into your hearts. Begins to change us, doesn't it? it? Begins to change our hearts. It begins to teach us how to love with a vulnerable love just like we've been loved. Where we begin to be able to just start to let down our barriers and our defenses. Where we begin to Uh, let ourselves, to go to those places where even our greatest weaknesses are exposed, if that's what it takes to let somebody else in. Uh, Where we refuse any longer to pretend that we've got it all made and we're all put together, right? That, That veneer of security and invulnerability that we project to other people. Forgetting that actually by telling the truth about who you really are is one way to bring people in to common shared fellowship as weak, broken people that are so hungry to be made whole, so hungry to be set free, so hungry to be known and loved. You see, we live these days in an age of fear and self-preservation, don't we? Uh, vulnerability is the last place we want to go. And sometimes it multiplies a sense of fear that we're under attack, whether the church or the nation or just ourselves. Fearful of the threats from without, unaware of the threats from within. Worried and concerned, and therefore locking into self-preservation mode, surrounding ourselves with those whom we consider to be safe, which of course usually means people just like ourselves surrounding ourselves out of fear with whatever protection mechanisms that we can have which is why so many of us live in isolation we're dying on the vine cuz we're isolated but we don't know how to choose any other way and yet here is our god the word made flesh who pursued intimacy with sinners by embracing vulnerability, giving us power to be vulnerable in order to achieve intimacy with those around us. And you say, well, where is vulnerability? Where is it? I'll tell you where, right next to you. Oh, just the vastness of the brokenness of all kinds that we all bear secretly, on our own, or behind closed doors. How don't you ever forget just how vulnerable and broken the very people around you are. And yet, let's be honest, so often we make choices in life, whether where we work or whom we live with or where we live, to surround ourselves with a fortress in order to avoid vulnerability. Where's vulnerability, sometimes you need to cross it with intentionality, kind of like a word becoming flesh crossing from heaven to earth. Sometimes love needs to take you out of your secure zones to love people different from yourselves, to love people that are suffering from dear, vast forms of vulnerability, financially, physically, emotionally, or otherwise. What a better time, no better time, than this time of year, than for people like you, like me, people that are beginning to know the vulnerability and intimacy of Advent. To love like him. To love the vulnerable by making ourselves vulnerable. Because here's Christmas love. What's the love of the word made flesh? To assume vulnerability for the sake of protecting and lifting up the vulnerable. That's the story of you and me. That's good news. That's the grace of the gospel. And as it changes our lives and orients us towards the world around us, it teaches us to love in like manner intimacy through vulnerability. This is who God is. This is the great mystery of the word revealed to us, the word that's become flesh. And so the apostle made the big reveal it's him, it's Jesus. He's the one we're looking for, and he really is, you know, the one we're looking for, this Jesus. And just like with a good mystery novel, I pray that this Christmas you'll close the book, as it were, once you're done having encountered this story of the word become flesh. Close the book, and you'll say to yourself about this mystery, maybe with a grin, somehow... I knew it all along. Because it is him. The answer to your deepest hopes, dreams and longings. Christ, the word made flesh. The word come for you. Let's pray. Make these things true to every one of us. Change our lives. We pray in the power of the words of the word. Christ himself, in whose name we pray.